Morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.03 a.m. Central Daylight Time. Will it never end? My God. It is the 21st of October, 2019. This is episode 153 of Bitcoin and... There's some good news and bad news. Let's get into it. Let's start with fun shit. This is, I have been waiting for the gaming world to figure this whole thing out. And it's like they just never get it. And there's probably good reason that they're not just like all in Bitcoin, Lightning and all that kind of stuff. Because as a game company, generally speaking, they're pretty unfit to understand what it means to become possibly a money processor and they don't want to deal. They got enough pro they got 99 problems and and money is probably one of the ones that they don't want to add to that mix, right? Because, you know, AAA game development all the way down to your standard like B level games, they're hard to make. It take a long time. But it, you know, for me, it's an inevitability. And nothing screams inevitability like this piece by Adrian Zminski, writing for Cointelegraph sometime this morning, Fortnite meets Bitcoin Lightning Network in new Light Night video game. Yeah, check it out, man. Bitcoin enable games startup Satoshi Games announced the development of a Fortnite-like game with built-in Lightning Network microtransactions dubbed Light Night on October the 19th. Per the announcement, all in-game interactions between players trigger a monetary reward or penalty for the user. Satoshi Games provided some examples. Quote, in simple words, players earn Bitcoin by shooting other players and lose Bitcoin when they get shot. Furthermore, some in-game items have a Bitcoin value and can, can be picked up from dead players. And the game store allows players to purchase items with fiat money or BTC microtransactions. The player's balances are updated in real time. When the player damages another player, gets damaged, or picks up an item with Bitcoin value, the company also notes that players can exit the game and instantly withdraw their balance via Lightning Network when they wish to do so. The game will also feature a Bitcoin-enabled and a Bitcoin-less mode in an attempt to appeal to a broader audience. The company explains that this is meant to tempt users new to cryptocurrencies to start experimenting with Bitcoin. Quote, Non-Bitcoin users can play the mode with no Bitcoin features and they'll eventually get attracted by the enhanced interactivity allowed by the Bitcoin integration and start experimenting with this innovative technology. This is also a way through which we want to contribute to the Bitcoin mass adoption, end quote. As Telegraph, Cointelegraph reported at the end of September, blockchain and artificial intelligence firm Animoca Brands Corporation Limited has entered into partnership with sports management company Dorna Sports SL to develop a blockchain-based MotoGP manager game. Okay, so 
Satoshi Games is is fast becoming one of my favorite things to watch in the space because they're they're doing all kinds of neat stuff. Now, understand something about Light Night. This is a low poly game, okay? And and by what what do I mean by low poly? Well, if you have been into video gaming for any length of time whatsoever, unless you just started playing video games for the first time this year or something, what happens is that you get better and better looking games. Now, there is something to be said about minimalism as, as far as the genre in video games is concerned. In some cases, it works very, very well. In other cases, it sucks ass. But one thing about low poly is always true. They are much easier games for a processor, a GPU, you know, a, a graphics processor unit, and a CPU that has to do some of the calculations that are, you know, that they go in tandem. CPU and GPU work together to make our, our gaming experience good. Uh, it's easier to run. It, and that means less glitching. That means that there's, you know, lag is reduced sharply um, when you have low poly, low poly environment. The problem is, is there's sort of three things that work together. The beauty of the game, the efficacy at which you can play it, i.e. lag and stuff like that. And, um, oh God, what was the other one? Now, those two things, oh, 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 uh, the rules of the game, like the game play, right? It's like I've played games that that are beautiful and I hate them because the gameplay is like, I don't, Red Redemption 2, for, for, the, for the fans out there, I, I get it. It's, it's a kick-ass game, except I, I, I'm like playing it going, this is just not all that fun for me. Now, that's just me, and I get that, you know, other people, you know, everybody's different. But for me, I'm like, ah, I could take it or leave it. It's a beautiful game. I mean, that thing is top-notch, man, from Rockstar. It's just, it's a badass game. I don't like playing it. So the beauty isn't enough for me to get into it. What I'm saying here is that it could go either it could go either way. There are some low poly games that I have have enjoyed. I, hell, I've been I've been playing 2D games with with my son. We've been playing Sonic the Hedgehog, man. It's a cool game. It's fun, you know, and it's old. It's ancient game tech, right? So I hope that that light night does really well. I haven't played it yet. Clearly, I don't. I'm, I, I don't know if anybody really has. We'll we'll be watching it. I hope that it's fun to play. Because if it's not fun to play, then it's just you know it's just eh. It is what it is. All right. Also in lightning news, as lightning's economy takes shape, devs are split on proposed fee hike. Oh God, here we go. Coindesk's uh, William Foxley is writing this morning. Fees aren't just a topic of discussion for Bitcoin core users anymore. As the tech matures and an economy develops, fee discussions are making their way into the Lightning Network too. This past weekend, Bitcoiners and Lightning fanatics <laughs> gathered in an industrial Berlin sector for the first ever Lightning conference with topics ranging from onboarding and interface design to the vogue economics of the nascent payment layer. Lightning conference attendees said the event had the feel of Bitcoin's early days. However, Lightning isn't quite new. When it first debuted, following its release of the white paper in 2015, three major teams sprung up among a sea of hobbyists, Eclair, C-Lightning, and Lightning Labs. Over the two-day conference, questions over wallet design and Lightning apps were joined by concerns over the network's next steps given its relative explosion over the last year. 
One such question was default fees, the minimum price to send a payment through a Lightning Network channel. Currently, a default fee settings scrape the bottom of the barrel at one Satoshi plus one parts per million or one, or I'm sorry, 0.0000001% of the payment. In a word, insignificant. One Satoshi, a 100 millionth of a Bitcoin, is worth around $0.0000825 at press time. Node operators have the option to raise the basic fee, yet historically the baseline hasn't deviated much. Blockstream C Lightning's Rusty Russell points out that some two-thirds of nodes don't charge over the default. To spur the development of a fee market, Russell called for an uptick in the default fee from 1 sats plus 1 part per million to 5 sats and 500 parts per million in an October 10th email to Lightning developers. In essence... His proposal would flip the fee market upside down. Nodes would bid down for processing payments as opposed to bidding up. Some level of fee increase is generally seen as necessary in the Lightning community. As Lightning app, LAP developers, and others build on Layer 2 systems, Russell told told Coindesk he has concerns for future developers working on the basis of the current setup. Quote, we measure chemicals in parts per million. Somebody coming in might go, all right, cool, we're going to do one part per million, <clears throat> Russell said. They need a warning that it's going to change, he added. Russell's proposal was seconded by Pierre-Marie Padio, CEO of founder, oh, CEO and founder of Async, the parent company of Lightning Company Eclair, in an email. Zap Solutions founder Zap Jack Mahlers also motioned support for the fee bump when asked by Coindesk. While the change would be small monetarily, other Lightning developers believe a simple fee proposal could negatively affect the project's decentralized image. As part of the Bitcoin universe, Lightning has co-opted Bitcoin's enthusiasm for individual sovereignty and free markets. Understanding Russell's proposal within the context of the network then becomes political. Would the three light big... uh, would the big three Lightning developers be setting a precedent by changing the default fee? And if so, what are the implications? Lightning Labs CTO Alal uh, Beef, I can't pronounce his name, came out strongly against the proposal, which he believes could easily be taken out of context, saying this post promotes the notion that somehow in Lightning, developers decide on fees. In an October 11th response to Russell's proposal, quote, the operators set the fees. If the fees are too high, they don't get paid. That's the market, he said. Roast Beef told Coindesk that education initiatives matter more and developers should steer clear of topics rife for misinterpretation. Lightning Lab CEO Elizabeth Stark agreed, telling Coindesk that the fee market should develop from the ground up, not top down. Quote, I don't think developers should be changing these defaults. I think the fee market will emerge. It's going to have to professionalize, end quote, Stark said. At the end of the day, it's still early for the Bitcoin payment solution. Mallers told Coindesk the over uh, the overhead for participating in the network remains low and default fee increase or not, the network is heading in the right direction. Quote, the cost of getting on the network and routing is downloading free software on a laptop, he concluded. So, okay. I don't know, man. There's there I like this the way this story is written because it represents, you know, both sides pretty equally well. What side do I come down on? I'm going to have to come down with Elizabeth Stark and Roast Beef. I like Jack Mahlers and the and the rest of those guys. Don't get me wrong, but we've heard all we've been here before. Fees. The great I mean fees is what sparked the great scaling debate, right? Or definitely one of the things, it was not all of it, but 
clearly that was the rallying cry from all the shit forks. Oh my God, Mafis, Mafis. I, I really don't want to see this shit happen again because we went through that once. I, and, and I got in at, in, in 2015 and that was right. Just got right as the whole thing started being talked about. So, and I'm sure it was being talked about before, but man, by the time 2017 hit, I was like ankle deep or actually more like neck deep in this war. And I don't want to see it again. There were a lot of people stopped being friends over that. A lot of, of butt hurt was incurred. And we ended up with a whole host of shit, bags of shit coins. And I, I would really rather not see this happen again. Okay. So coming back up here to the very top, we're, we're talking about the default, the default payment to rate, you know, raising fees as, as default. The reason that I'm agreeing with roast beef is that I too don't agree that developers should be setting fees. We, we keep jacking with this stuff and, you know, a market is, it's hard to get a market to develop organically if you are synthetically doing shit, let the node operators figure out where they want to go with it. If like, and I get on the other side of the coin, I understand what they're saying. There's a lot of people that have so much cash. They don't ever, they don't give a shit about making money on their, on their nodes. I think a fee market will develop, but I get the whole thing about there could be some whale out there who's got like, I don't know, a hundred lightning nodes and is never going to raise them past the, the default. Even if they did change the default, the node operator could push it down. If they Now, if they don't allow that, that's a huge freaking problem. If this happens, if for whatever reason, the developers all get together in a room and in some centralized way that none of us are going to like, and all the shit coiners are going to go rah, rah, see, we told you. If they were to do that with and, and, and push code with no freaking ability to change the defaults to lower, we're going to have another war. We're, this time it'll be a lightning scaling debate, but the same shit's going to happen. Friends are going to stop being friends. People that work together are going to hate each other. And none of us, I don't, I don't want to see it again. I don't know if any of you guys out there that listen to me rant every day, you know, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I don't know if you guys want to, maybe there's somebody out there who's like, no, I want to see a war again. I don't. So guys, all I'm saying here is please be careful. Please, for the love of God, be careful and learn the lessons that we learned during the whole 2015 through 2017 and 18 scaling debates. Just please be careful. All I'm just begging you guys. Okay, October the 18th, Colin Harper started or was writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin as a savings technology. Are interest accounts worth the trade-offs? My answer is actually no. But let's find out what 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 he's talking about. A new meme has begun circulating among Bitcoiners, much like the Be Your Own Bank and Digital Gold memes before it. It's straight and to the point. Bitcoin is savings technology. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. I haven't seen that. I have not seen that as a meme. Orange coin, you know, orange coin good. Number go up. Bitcoin fixes this. Those, I, I, I'm aware of those. 
Not so much the whole Bitcoin as savings technology. Haven't seen that as a meme. Don't believe me? Check out this website and see how your Bitcoin stash would be holding up depending on if you bought X amount on Y day. This does assume a dollar cost averaged or, as the hip kids say these days, stacked sats. Another way to look at it, Bitcoin has been profitable to hold up to the time of this writing for 92% of its existence. Quote, number go up is relatively a great savings impetus, but there are also ways for you to accrue interest on your coin as it sits idle in your storage. When my father first informed me of savings interest, I was astounded. Quote, you mean I can make money on my savings for doing nothing? End quote. Well, yes, but I was also born a decade or so too late for this to make any discernible uh, difference on my finances. Compared to my father's young adulthood, any interest I earn on my fiat savings account is laughably insignificant. I think I've earned an incredible $2 since opening an account some six or seven years ago. Thanks to the sprawling infrastructure being built around Bitcoin, however, you can earn more than that on your Bitcoin through various loan services. Of course, this comes with the cost of custody. Under these schemes, you relinquish your keys to a third party, which has given us, or yeah, sorry, given some of us pause, as well it should, people. So whether or not you want to use these services is up to your own risk tolerance, as none of them come without risk. BlockFi is perhaps the best-known Bitcoin lending service, so we'll use it as a jumping-off point. Quote, for years, crypto investors haven't had access to basic financial products in the blockchain ecosystem. BlockFi bridges this gap by providing access to high-interest crypto accounts and low-cost credit products to clients worldwide, BlockFi's master, uh, masthead reads. The service is twofold. It allows its clients to deposit their Bitcoin into BlockFi interest accounts and earn up to 8.6% annual compound interest on the on these coins. It also allows clients to deposit their coins to take out a USD loan of up to 50% of the value of the collateral. Ugh. For those leveraging BlockFi's interest program, the interest is paid out in the cryptocurrencies that the client deposits. The rate of interest also varies based on the amount deposited and which asset is deposited. For example, 0 to 5 Bitcoin will earn you 6.2%, while anything over 5 earns you only 2.2% for Ether. Larger amounts are even lower. As anything above 200 Ether only earns you 0.5% GUSD, on the other hand, may earn you the maximum 8 It's kind of confusing. Why is that? It has to do with volatility. Whereas Bitcoin and Ether are subject to the frenetic price movements that have come to define the crypto market, GUSD as a stable coin with an ostensible one-to-one parity with the dollar doesn't fluctuate at all, really, except, uh, except under deviant circumstances. Quote, actual yield will vary based on account activity and compliance with BlockFi's terms and conditions. Rates are largely dictated by market conditions, which are a key factor in the company ability to provide its clients yield on their crypto assets. BlockFi's website reads, On the other side of the aisle, we have Celsius Network, which offers the same services as BlockFi BlockFi, and on its website constantly tries to convince you it's the superior alternative. But one key difference is that it accepts, accepts a mixed bag of 25 coins and tokens and even features a a token of its own. Uh, Celsius has no minimum deposits or any fees. It supports basically every relevant stable coin, including DAI, and promises up to 10% return on its interest accounts, though like BlockFi, this varies by coin. According to the website's interest estimator, 1BTC would earn you $7.27 per week for a total of $378 over the course of 12 months. That's roughly 4.5% to be paid in Bitcoin. 
but you can also choose to take your payment in the Celsius token, which increases your payout by almost 20%. For one BTC, interest in CEL, their shitcoin token, would entitle you to $9 per week or $472 over the year. Sell token payout, Celsius founder uh, Alex Mashinsky assured me from the token buybacks on the spot market. The fear here is that Celsius could just print more sell tokens as needed to pay back interest accounts. We're not the Fed. We're not going and we're not going and printing money on demand, he said, bristling at the accusations flung by Bitcoin maximalists that Celsius has a war chest of printed tokens to remunerate users. Quote, every week we go out and buy five hundred thousand dollars worth of tokens from the markets, he continued, explaining that one-third of Celsius's clients choose their interest in sell. Quote, why did a third of our community decide to take sell tokens? Do we have to answer that? Oh, apparently we do. Because they're smart and thought, oh God, and thought if Celsius continues to increase assets under management and they continue to add users and continue to pay more interest, they're going to need to buy more sell tokens so the price will go up because Celsius is the largest buyer of sell token out there, just like JP Morgan is the largest buyer of JP Morgan stock, end quote. He added, quote, that's exactly what Wall Street does for the shareholder. <laughs> ah, God, it's hilarious. Celsius is doing it for the community, end quote. Roughly 36% of sell token sur- uh, supply is circulating while the rest is locked up in the treasury reserves or accounts held by its team and or advisors. In our conversation, Mashinsky said that 90% of Celsius's business comes from interest accounts to generate revenue. The company employs a combination of rehypothecation or taking deposits and refinancing them on the open market trading arbitrage and other techniques of the total revenue from these actions. Mashinsky claims 80% goes back to paying depositors. Then there's BitLeague, a Bitcoin savings platform that offers interest through a Bitcoin term deposit product, which can vary from three to 36 months long. Interest is calculated based on an annual percentage rate with a 12-month BTC deposit term netting customers 6.7% interest, a 24-month term netting 7.8% interest, and a 36-month term netting 9, all paid out in BTC. It hosts. It also hosts a Bitcoin exchange that doesn't charge commission on purposes, presumably motivating users to park their BTC in a term deposit account. Quote, our goal is always to encourage the adoption of Bitcoin. Yafeng Mao, yeah, Mao, the CEO of BitLeague, said when the company announced its commission-free trading. And of course, after our clients get their Bitcoin, we encourage them to invest in our Bitcoin term deposits. BitLeague also offers customers loans on their cryptocurrency holdings. Users can enter the fiat amount thereafter, and BitLeague will calculate BTC collateral amount in kind based on a 30% loan-to-value ratio. So if you borrow $10,000, you will have to stake three grand worth of Bitcoin. BTC borrowers will then agree to pay a calculated monthly interest rate and can purportedly get their fiat loan within 48 hours. The advantage for hodlers is that you can get fiat if needed without having to actually sell any BTC. To date, all of BitLeague services have been Bitcoin focused, but is planning it is planning to launch a Libra interest account soon, offering an expected 6% rate. So who's holding the keys? Celsius, along with other cryptocurrency lending platforms, Salt, 
has taken flack for including a token in its business model. There are other obvious drawbacks to these services, including surrendering your keys to the companies providing them. Celsius claims on its website that users will always have access to 100% of the funds and boasts no fees or minimum deposits. BlockFi has no minimum deposit, though each user is subject to Gemini's minimums because this is where BlockFi custodies clients' deposits. Withdrawals are capped on a monthly basis, though these figures are extremely high, about 100 BTC, and wouldn't affect lower net worth hodlers. Coincidentally, much of BlockFi's business comes from Wales. Bitly maintains a 0.00001 minimum deposit and no minimum or sorry, no maximum deposit for its term deposit product. Bitly claims that most of its customer assets are held in a cold storage system while a small percentage is held in its hot wallet. Its website outlines multiple security and insurance measures in place, but BitLeague does not let its customers make withdrawals from their term deposit accounts before they mature. In cases where it does allow users to do so, it imposes a penalty equal to the total interest that has been accrued in the account. Essentially, it will just give you your Bitcoin back. Over 80% of BlockFi's businesses come from the United States. Though it is barred from users in Washington state through BlockFi's interest accounts, oh, sorry, though BlockFi's interest accounts are available in just over 100 countries after a recent expansion, Celsius is available in about as many locales with the majority of its business coming from Europe, while the United States accounts for 30%. Bitly serves clients from over 14 countries. All three businesses have been growing rapidly in the past few years. Celsius claims that it has generated over $2.2 billion in loans across 45,000 active accounts with $300 million uh, sorry, $300 million of assets in custody since it launched in 2017. Its token currently trades for $0.05 and has extremely thin liquidity with a little under $100,000 in daily trading volume. Zach Prince told me that BlockFi currently has somewhere in the ballpark of the hundreds of millions of dollars in custody and rakes in seven figures of revenue monthly. Damn. Bitly claims to have handled millions of dollars worth of BTC on its platform to date. It should go without saying that these services are still extremely young and all would caution that their services are subject to the volatility of the market and the risk inherent to uh, cryptocurrencies. Both offer insurance for deposits, though this will likely not appease maximalists who object to these services because they forfeit self-custody and, in the case of Celsius, SALT, and a handful of other smaller tokenized loan services, they ran ICOs. If you choose to utilize these services, you do so at your own risk, and, of course, you do your own research. But if you're willing to take these take that risk to earn interest on your idling coins, the barriers to entry are pretty low. For the rest of us, we might be content just to hodl. It'll probably help save all the same. Yeah, okay. What do I think about it? I don't like the loan, the loan system, but there are people that do. If you like that shit, then go do it. But if you get hosed, don't come crying to the rest of us because I don't know, like let's say Celsius, you know, and I've just, just now heard of Celsius Network. What if the exit scam? You're hosed. I'm, I would hope that they don't do that. I would hope that none of these people do that, but that there's no guarantee. The only real guarantee here is hodling. You know, you have your coins and you're not earning interest on it. So that kind of a bummer, but that's the trade-off. There's always trade-offs around this kind of thing. And also this actually, this whole thing seems like it's just ripe to work with a third party like Casa Hodel and multi-sig 
to have a third. And, and again, what what are we doing? At this point, I'm talking exactly in the same way that, that Wall Street started up. We got third parties that are offering goods and services. But if you're going to do this, I would feel a hell of a lot better if like I had a key, Celsius had a key, and like Casa, you know, Casa had a key. And we'd all, there was some arbitration involved. That way, if somebody did exit scam, I would be, and Casa would know. They'd go, they, they exit scammed your ass. You call us whenever it is that you're ready to do the two of three and we'll get your Bitcoin back and then I'll pay him a fee. That I I hope that that starts happening in the, in the lending market because again, if you're going to relinquish your keys, you're going to, you're making these trade-offs and you're going to, we're going to end up with a portion of the, of the block of the Bitcoin space that looks very much like the legacy financial system. That's going to happen whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not, this shit is going to happen. There's going to be a sector of the financial institution or the sector of Bitcoin that looks just like the shit that we got. And it's going to have the same freaking problems and it's going to go through the same bullshit. It's okay. You don't have to take part of it. That's why I Bitcoin. Bitmain launches the world's largest Bitcoin mining facility in my home state, Texas. Nice. Cointelegraph's Marie Huliet is writing this morning that the Chinese cryptocurrency hardware manufacturer Bitmain has opened what it claims is the world's largest facility for Bitcoin mining in Rockdale, Texas. In a news release published on October the 21st, Bitmain revealed the project had been completed together with Rockdale Municipal Development District and Canadian technology firm DMG Blockchain Solutions. The news release places a strong emphasis on working with the local economy of Rockdale, which is located in Milam County, east of Austin. The facility currently developed to a 25 megawatt capacity with a 50 megawatt facility remaining under construction sits on a 33,000 acre site and can expand to a capacity of over 300 megawatts in the future. The site is reportedly owned by the aluminum company of America, Alcoa, and formerly served as the location for a smelter. DMG, which is to provide hosting and management services for the Texas facility, will cooperate with Bitmain to expand the facility's capacity and ensure the efficiency of the site's mining operations. Both firms will work closely to establish the facility's on-ground team together with the local workforce commission, the Rockdale MDD. Bitmain says it is committed to seeking local Rockdale suppliers to support the ongoing construction work and will also purchase energy directly from Rockdale's electric grid operator, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. Aside from supporting the local economy, Bitmain also plans to launch educational programs and training on blockchain technology and mining data center operations together with the Rockdale School District. God dang, man. I'm starting to kind of like Bitmain. I, I know I shouldn't say that because I'm going to get hosed, but... If they're not talking out their ass, they're actually doing something. I mean, partnering with the public school system to get people like to educate high school kids, the operations and management of data centers, that's going to get them jobs. It's going to be a hell of a lot better than going to freaking college, you know, running up to college station and going to A&M or going down to Austin to UT and spending ass loads of cash and God knows how many years of indebtedness to get a degree in misery studies. This is better. I'm, so I'm sorry, right now, I'm, tr- I'm flipping positive on Bitmain. 
as long as Jihan Wu doesn't have anything to do with this bullshit, and or even if he does and is basically being squelched by new management that's doing shit like this, then I'm not having problems with Bitmain. Continuing, as previously reported, Bitmain's plans for its Texas site was first announced in August of 2018. At the time, Bitmain said it expected to create 400 local jobs in the first two years, quoting $500 million as its total planned investment into the economy over an initial period of seven years. This January, local reports alleged that the project was being downscaled with reports of staff layoffs and suspended operations. Adverse market conditions were thought to be the reason for the purported cooling off. Clinton Brown, Rockdale lead project manager for Bitmain, has today said the facility's launch is significant to Bitmain's global expansion plans and that the state's stable and efficient energy resources will be fundamental to supporting what he believes is set to be the inevitable scale of growth of the mining industry. And also, that's the end of that, but also, get in Texas where I've always bitched about Texas not being, leading in Bitcoin. That the state is ripe to be a world-class leader. You got layer one solutions who's looking at West Texas, and now you got Bitmain that's already opened 25 megawatt facility in right smack dab between College Station and Austin, Texas. All right. Now, my only question about this is I understand why. Because they're going to be able to pull from UT and College Station. They're going to be, I mean, they're, if, if this, if, again, if they're not lying out of their ass, it's going to make Rockdale a really cool place because you're going to be able to draw from industry, the industry center in, in Austin, which is huge in tech and has been since the whole dot com thing. And College Station and, you, you know, the, the univers- University of Texas in Austin and, you know, A&M University in, um, in College Station, both of which have extensive computer science and engineering schools. That, it's a good play. My only problem here is that it's also really humid. So unlike the layer one guys that are going to West Texas, they will have to contend with only heat. The guys that are going to Rockdale are going to have to contend with wet heat. Okay, not only does it get freaking hot down there, it's also wet. There is high humidity almost all the time. Because at this point, we're getting kind of close to Houston. And if you've ever been in Houston in August, you'll you'll know what it's like to melt into a puddle of misery. Because it's not only is it hot, it's 100% humidity. And I know that that's going to cause extra infrastructure to have to be built to take care of that shit. You know, the layer one guys are out there in West Texas, dry as a bone all the time, maybe a few percent humidity after a rain, but where they are 150 miles West of Midland, dude, there's no ag, there's no ag out there. I mean, if there is, it's like ranching, there's no farming out there. So you don't have central pivot irrigation that has increased the, the relative humidity in places like Lubbock. Right. When I first moved to Lubbock, dry as a bone. Then central pivot irrigation just exploded. And all of a sudden, the relative humidity stayed pretty high. It was amazing how that works, isn't it? Anyway, I think this is good news. I, again, I'm going to go ahead and flip on Bitmain and say that they are at least, it, like I said, if they're not lying, then they are moving in the proper direction. And maybe they'll be a good Bitcoin company once again. Unlike Facebook, Libra could drop 
basket, in quotes, and issue individual fiat stablecoins. When you're backed into a corner, I guess you punt. Coindesk, Daniel Palmer's writing, as of this morning, the Facebook-led Libra project may consider a fundamental change to the way its planned global payment system will operate, according to its chief. Speaking at a banking seminar, according to a Reuters report on Sunday, co-creator of Libra, David Marcus, said that the firm could consider dropping the currently planned synthetic stablecoin, which is to be pegged to a basket of fiat currencies and government bonds, and instead issue a number of individual coins pegged to national fiat currencies, such as the dollar, pound, and euro. Where's what? When, you might as well go ahead and peg one to some, some government bonds, because you're doing the exact same thing. I'm sorry, but this is, you're doing the same thing, just in a different way. Just go with Bitcoin. Continuing, he told the panel, quote, we could definitely approach this with having a multitude of stable coins that represent national currencies in a tokenized digital form. That is one of the options that should be considered. You you should probably consider Bitcoin. Just saying. Marcus told Reuters that the new path isn't necessarily Libra's desired option, but the project needs to be agile. That presumably in the face of kickback from global regulators who have almost to a voice condemned the project as a threat to financial stability and monetary policy and a financial crimes risk. A number of lawmakers, including including the U.S. and the EU, have demanded that the project doesn't launch until these issues are addressed. Libra, for its part, has said it is working with regulators and designed its launch timeline to allow such concerns to be addressed. It has further pushed back on claims it is a threat to nation's monetary sovereignty. Why Libra would shift away from its currently planned structure for the token wasn't stated in the Reuters report. Among possible issues, it has been suggested previously that the reserve backing the basket could be classified as a security and hence come under the remit of regulators like the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, formerly former commodity tradings. Oh, man, I blew it. Former Commodity Futures Trading Commission Chairman Gary Gensler made the argument in July saying, quote, as currently proposed, the Libra Reserve, in essence, is a pooled investment vehicle that should, at minimum, be regulated by the SEC, with the Libra Association registering as an investment advisor, end quote. In a recent setback for the project, a number of big-name firms such as Visa and MasterCard left the project on October 11th, soon after being sent letters from United States lawmakers threatening regulatory reprisals if they did not do so. Libra is still sticking to its launch time of mid-2020 amid all the regulatory problem-solving. Marcus told Reuters, quote, we'll see. That's still the goal. It's not entirely up to us, end quote. What a way to end that story with just complete freaking apathy and a a delusional direction. It sounds to me like they don't know what they're doing. It's, it, it, that's what this whole thing sounds to me like. And let me reiterate my disgust <laughs> for senators and rep, you know, reps in, in Washington sending threatening letters to businesses, uh, getting them to jump through hoops and do things their way. I mean, that's just, I don't like Libra. I hate Facebook. I think the whole thing's freaking stupid, but that, I don't care who it is. They could have sent those letters to Roger Ver, and I'd still be upset about that shit. Because that's just bullshit. I mean, you know, these guys, if nothing else gets you to understand in what kind of prison that they that you've been born into, you, you didn't get put into a prison. If you've unless you're 400 years old, you were born into a prison. 
it, that actually number may be really kind of low in either event. Uh, let's see here. What's, what is next on the stack? Oh God. Yes. Okay. The verge. This is John Porter writing as of this morning, HTC now has an entry level blockchain phone. The Exodus S1 is available to order now, but not in the U.S. So us in here will will well we'll have to wait. <clears throat> HTC has announced a new entry level phone aimed at cryptocurrency users called the HTC Exodus One S, a follow up to the seven hundred dollar Exodus One that was originally released last year. The Exodus One S is a much cheaper device at around two hundred and fifty bucks. Get that? This is two hundred and fifty bucks and offers much less powerful hardware built around a Qualcomm Snapdragon 435 processor. The Exodus 1S's big new cryptocurrency feature is that it's able to run a full Bitcoin node. That's right, a full Bitcoin node on the phone, which HTC says is a first for a smartphone. It's something the company has been talking about wanting to do since the announcement of the original Exodus 1. Speaking to Forbes, HTC's Phil Chin said that being able to run a full node means that the phone can relay, confirm, and validate Bitcoin transactions, which offers more privacy and also allows you to contribute to the security of the network. Running a full Bitcoin node on a phone comes with its limitations. HTC recommends that you connect the phone to Wi-Fi and plug it into a power source while it's running the full node. And you'll also need to buy an SD card with a capacity of 400 gigabytes or more if you want the phone to be able to hold a full copy of the Bitcoin ledger. The, bit, the Exodus 1S will also not be able to operate as a mining node. Well, of course not. That would just be kind of dumb, whatever. Outside of its blockchain capabilities, the HTC Exodus 1S features entry-level hardware. It's got a 5.7-inch HD display, 4 gigabytes of RAM, 64 gigabytes of internal storage, and it has a single rear-facing 13-megapixel camera. It charges over micro USB, but at least you get a 3.5-millimeter headphone jack. HTC's Exodus phones are an ambitious attempt by the company to appeal to cryptocurrency enthusiasts as its smartphone sales have plummeted in recent years. Compared to the Exodus 1, the cheaper starting price for the Exodus 1S could make it appealing as a secondary device to experiment with. Damn right it does. The HTC Exodus 1S won't be available in the United States, but you can now order it from HTC's site in Europe, Taiwan, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE. Naturally, HTC will happily accept payment in Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, Binance Coin, and uh, Bcash for the phone. So a full Bitcoin node on a phone. And yeah, it's I I, I know what the what the Fudsters are gonna say, but it has to be on wireless and plugged in. Well, at least we're moving to it. At least we're getting there. I mean, things are actually moving. Hell, and at 250 bucks, I might get one. Just it just keep it on my, I don't know, maybe have it as a business phone and keep it on my desk. I I don't know. But if, as long as it's plugged in and on Wi-Fi and it's like running a full Bitcoin node, I think it's cool. Now, if I'm, I'm uh, clearly you unplug it and start running around and, and start like going between cell towers and different Wi-Fi networks, that node is, I hope they've got it default to where it basically just turns off and says, look, man, you're, you're running around too much. I don't know what's going on. I'm just going to shut down the node. And then the next time you fire that node up, it's going to have to sync. But Again, at least we're moving in the damn direction we need to be going. Let's see. Uh, I don't know if I want to do that one. Nope. You know what? I'm not going to do that one because it's just stupid. 
This one is not. Uh, this one, I uh, this is gonna be the last one, and it's a a little long, but it's important, especially if absolutely true. Uh, Alyssa Hertig is writing for CoinDesk that researchers uncover Bitcoin attack that could slow or stop lightning payments. Okay, this was this morning, so this has just basically been announced. The Bitcoin Lightning Network could be vulnerable to a simple and disruptive attack, according to a recent research paper written by Sar Tochner, Aviv Zohar, and Stefan Schmid. The paper describes a denial-of-service attack that could be used to slow down or even stop a huge percentage of payments on the network. And, although the behavior has not been seen in the wild and Lightning's technology is still in progress, is considered a major flaw in the network as it stands today. The paper, entitled Hijacking Routes and Payment Networks, was published in mid-September. Tushner and Zohar both hail from the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, while Schmid works at the University of Vienna. Quote, the attack allows for a disruption of payments on the Lightning Network, end quote, said Zohar. This is possible because each Lightning Network payment is passed across a network of nodes in order to reach its destination. If one of these middle nodes is a bad actor, it can slow slow the payment down rather than swiftly pass along the payment as it's supposed to. What's more, it currently doesn't take much to execute the denial of service attack, according to Zohar. Quote, it is extremely easy to execute. It takes opening a few lightning channels to key points, promising zero fees, and then not relaying any payments. It's an attack that the researchers haven't seen in the wild, but it could potentially make the lightning pay work network more difficult to use. And it's a discovery that has gotten the attention of developers who work on Bitcoin and lightning. I wish I had thought of the attack. Bitcoin researcher Gleb Namenkos told Coindesk, the paper is very interesting. So is the analysis of the different heuristics used for pathfinding. And we're very happy to see independent researchers work on how lightning can be abused and attacked in quote, said lightning startup async CTO Fabrice Durin or Druin D R O U I N. I'm sorry. Don't mean to butcher anybody's name, but it happens when a user sends a payment across lightning, their app decides which path to take based on many factors, including which nodes require the lowest fees. Though there are hundreds of nodes and nodes in the lightning network, a bad actor can use this attack to make sure there's a high probability that their node will be selected. They can do this by analyzing how each implementation computes routes to design a strategy that enables attackers to get their nodes selected in as many routes as possible. We can open channels that offer short and low-cost routes to in the network, which are then selected almost always for the route, Zohar further explained. By doing this, they can capture a significant portion of the network's payments at a given time. Quote, we find that just five new links are enough to draw the majority, 65 to 75% of the traffic, regardless of the implementation being used, the paper explains. What's more, they can do this over and over again to ensure the payment keeps getting stopped. Quote, then when a payment request comes in, you can just refuse to pass it onward. When a new path is selected, the attacker channels are again selected for the route, Zohar said. As, a, as bad as the attack sounds, it hasn't appeared in the wild yet. I think the network is just not in heavy use right now and disrupting it does not cause too much damage. The attack does not directly give funds to the attacker, so the incentive will only be there if Lightning is heavily used as a payments network, Zohar said. <coughs> Sorry, allergies. That happens too. It should be noted that for the attacker, such a maneuver is not cheap. Duran argues because attackers need to open actual channels and lock funds, which will get closed and pay on-chain fees whenever a payment is locked and times out. 
Still, Zohar argues that it's not it's not that expensive given the damage that you do, adding, quote, you need around 20 or so new channels to attack some 80% of all transactions, so the total cost would be around $2,000. Lightning developers agree this is a serious attack vector, but they are also optimistic that future changes will make the attack much harder. Quote, it's something that's hard to talk about because we are still developing a pathfinding system in LND, and it's a moving target, said Alex, Bo- Alex Bosworth, who is the infrastructure lead at Lightning labs. LND is an implementation of Lightning Network made by Lightning Labs. Bosworth further noted that changes are coming in fast and that the new version of LND that just came out on Tuesday, for example, has some major changes that impacts the routing analyzed by the researchers to come up with this attack. Quote, I wouldn't say that there is any way to conclusively stop people who are trying to disrupt payments because this is a system where the peer-to-peer design means that anyone can participate and route or not route as they prefer. The lightning code is changing very rapidly, and there are plenty of modifications still in the pipeline. Some of these changes could make it a lot harder for bad actors to execute an attack. Lightning developers argue, including a system for banning, quote, bad users. Uh, We'll get into that during the rant. Also, as the network grows, lightning network implementations will deploy more aggressive heuristics to ban misbehaving peers. And such attacks will become more and more short-lived, Druin said. Quote, for example, we don't just look at the cheapest fees when we compute routes. We try to select older channels. So an attacker would have to wait and behave before they can carry out the attack, he said. Druin further argued that there are other improvements forthcoming, including trampoline payments. A feature proposed by Blockstream Lightning developer Christian Decker, who was known for independently inventing a payment channel network similar to Lightning in 2015. Lightning is supposed to be instant, but behind the scenes, each node in the network carrying a payment from point A to B needs to do a little computation as it carries the data. In fact, not all Lightning users have equipment that's powerful enough to perform these calculations, thereby requiring the trampoline system. The typical user in today's network might send a Bitcoin payment from a smartphone, for instance, which isn't exactly a powerful machine. So one idea is to allow these smaller nodes to outsource computation to trampoline nodes that have more computational power. And that's the end of that. And that is actually kind of already, you know, already coming or actually probably as far as I know already here, because you can like dial into your lightning node from your phone and your lightning node is at home and it, you know, all along with the Bitcoin node and BTC pay server. And I'd like to see a tour on top of that stack and about like five other things all in a box can like, you know, connected to my, uh, to my router. That would be pretty, pretty awesome if it was like an all in one deal and that's going to happen. I guarantee it. But the banning of bad actors, why don't I like it? Well, I don't like people, you know, using speech to to say certain things, but I have to defend the First Amendment. I have to, because if I don't, then I'm going to be one of the people attacking the First Amendment and we will surely lose it. I don't know how we'd lose it, but nothing's impossible. Same thing here. I mean, we're banning bad users. What it's, it's another segment of, um, centralization, and the shitcoiners are going to be all over this, not just this this line about banning bad users, but the shitcoiners are going to be all over sending out FUD about this, this attack vector. It's going to get fixed. All this stuff gets fixed, but just prepare yourself 
for the FUD that is incoming from your usual suspects. And that's going to do it for your morning roundup. Vitals, you one of my got them. Uh, had a bump. B, uh, Bitcoin is at uh, 8,213. It looks like we've got, uh, that is the high. It looks like we've got a low over at, where's my low? I just had it. It was right here. Oh, P2P, B2B has it listed at 8,193. Tight spread. Very, very tight spread. We have had 331,000 transactions made over the last 24 hours with an average transaction number per hour of about 14,000. 907,000 BTC have been sent in the last 24 hours and about 38,000 BTC are being sent on average per hour. The average transaction value is 2.7 BTC, and the median transaction value is extraordinarily low at 0.016 BTC, or about 130 bucks. Block time is, guess it, low, 9 minutes, 4 seconds. 0.12 BTC are being taken in fees on a per-block basis, and 20 BTC have been taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. We've had a bump in the hash rate of about 7.5%. We are still under 100, but at 95.9 exahashes per second. When did uh, somebody actually do work on Bitcoin? Oh, it was this morning. That was the last GitHub commit. Ethereum is at 173. Bcash is at 228. Litecoin is at 54. BSV is at, oh God, it's over 100 again. Ethereum Classic is at four and a half, and Dogecoin's uh, down a little bit at 0.0027 at 31,000 transactions per second. Or, God, at 31,800 transactions over the last 24 hours, the lovable Doge is kicking the shit out of both Ethereum Classic and just stomping right all over Litecoin. So, Doge, better than Litecoin. Who would have guessed? Mempool, looks like we're shallow. We're one block deep. Yep, we are one block deep with only 915 unconfirmed transactions chilling out there. We have a a couple of blocks that are not full. We've got a 1.06 megabyte block and uh, 12 minutes ago, a 311 kilobyte block was mined. So again, does this mean Bitcoin dies? No, it doesn't mean Bitcoin dies. Stop it. God, nobody, we can't win. The blocks are too full. Bitcoin's dead. Nobody, blocks are not full. Nobody's using Bitcoin. Bitcoin's dead. You can't win. And you also can't have a perfect balance of perfectly full blocks every single 10 minutes with no mempool. You can't. It's impossible. Nothing in nature works that way. I don't know why people expect this shit to work this way. Okay, lightning. Looks like we are at 10,231 nodes, which is an increase over Friday, which was about 10,180. Uh, so we added 50 nodes, you know, whole, you know, public uh, lightning nodes. We have a drop of 25% in new channels being opened. Only 120 brand spanking new lightning channels have been opened in the last 24 hours. And new nodes in the last 24 hours are up by eight, which is a 60% gain. And that's going to do it for Vitals.
Okay, so Friday, uh, the song of the day was from David Bowie, Let's Dance, featuring Stevie Ray Vaughan on the guitar. We're going to transition to a fully subsidy-free David Bowie today and, and take you way back into the 70s. Uh, this is probably one of the songs that he's not only launched his career or, or stabilized his career once he did launch, but it's probably one of the most iconic songs that you can hear and almost in, almost automatically think of David Bowie because this one, and I just I just love this song and just it's it's a beautiful tune, man. It's also one of his famous you know, most famous songs. And it's got, I don't know, it's got an interesting message. It depends on how you take it. Other than that, I'm just going to let David speak for himself. Ground control to Major Tom. Ground control to Major Tom. Take your protein pills and put your helmet on. Ground control Nine. to Major Tom. Seven. Six. Commencing Five. countdown engines on. Three. Two. Check ignition One. and may God's love be with you.
daily train wrecked. Your smoldering pile is coming to you from the village idiot or Angela Welch. Her quote, all of your assumptions about incentives, risk, and value go out of the window. Please take the blinders off and stop assuming that everything will still work well once everything goes to a pure transaction fees system as opposed to block subsidy. So here we all are dealing with the same amount, degree, and vector of fear, uncertainty, and, of, and doubt that we always have. They're not even changing the story. It's, this is the same, the same freaking arguments all the damn time. All right, so there's a, there's a story connected to this. This is um, Coindesk's Christian Kim, or sorry, not Christian, Christine Kim writing on the 18th. With 18 million Bitcoins mined, how hard is that 21 million limit? Uh, pretty freaking hard. In a matter of hours, the 18 millionth Bitcoin will have been mined and the world's first cryptocurrency will draw one step closer to its hard-coded cap of 21 million coins. Quote, that the pie is shrinking. This milestone gives people some simple math to raise awareness about where we're at in the Bitcoin mining process, said Alex Adelman, CEO of Bitcoin Rewards Platform, Lolly, adding, quote, it's good for people to see the progress of Bitcoin, to look back on everything that has been done and will be done for the next three million you should pay attention to the next 3 million, end quote. But don't worry, you'll have 120 years or so to do, or to do so. The next 3 million Bitcoins will be progressively slower to mine as a result of block reward halvings, which occur every 210,000 blocks, or roughly four years, and reduce new Bitcoin supply by 50%. The final Bitcoin is expected to be mined in 2140, or is it? Uh, it seems blasphemous to even go there, given Bitcoin's value proposition is digital gold, but outsiders foresee a day when the 21 million cap might gasp come up for debate. Eventually, once there are no more Bitcoins left to mint, miners will rely solely on transaction fees, which are paid by users to transfer coins through the blockchain. This gives this change gives cause for concern to some who view Bitcoin's block subsidies as integral to Bitcoin's incentive system. To skeptics, this could undermine the, system, the structure that motivates miners to record validated transactions in the ledger. Quote, all of your assumptions about incentives, risk, and value go out the window, said Angela Walsh. Welch. Sorry. A research fellow at the University College London Center for Blockchain Technologies, quote, please take the blinders off and stop assuming that everything will still work once everything goes to a pure transaction fees-based system as opposed to a block subsidy, end quote, from our good village, Angela, well, whatever. Currently, with each block, miners get a subsidy of 12.5 newly created BTC worth roughly $100,000 plus any additional transaction fees, which normally don't total more than one BTC. Along the same lines, Paul Brody, a Global innovation leader for audit firm Ernst & Young said Bitcoin's limited supply could limit the cryptocurrency's utility as a global reserve currency. I'm listening to anybody from E&Y. I'm, I'm not. This is a brand new dawn. This is, this is the dawn of a brand new era using brand new technology and a brand new way of thinking about financial finances. Okay, The entire financial industry has been mired in the past 2,000 years of bad actors and bullshit policy. Why do I want them along for this ride? Why would you want them along for this ride? 
stop listening to these people because they are still stuck. There's one foot stuck a thousand years ago at best. Continuing, pointing to situations such as the Great Recession where monetary policy interventions were needed to lift the U.S. out of economic turmoil, Brody said, quote, if Bitcoin were to become a substantial part of the global monetary system, we would need to address the hard supply cap because a lot of economists agree deflationary systems are not necessarily the best thing. That's because you all were trained as Keynesians. There's another way, people. There is another way. Do not let these people in the door. Okay, that's what that, this is what uh, marauders at the gate kind of comes to mind. That that old saying. Both Walsh and Brody suggested that the Bitcoin that Bitcoin's 21 million supply cap might one day be subject to change. What if? Quote, we need to acknowledge that the 21 million cap is aspirational, said Walsh. If people decide to change that supply cap for certain reasons and enough people make that decision, the system will move to it. That it's aspiration, not reality. <laughs> yeah, she was, I don't think Angela was around for the scaling debate. Continuing, while technically feasible, a change in the supply cap would almost certainly be a non-starter for Bitcoin users who cherish its gold-like properties. That's not all we cherish, guys. Indeed, Bitcoin's code has long been governed by a community with a bias toward retaining the coin's original features as created by its pseudonymous founder, Satoshi Nakamoto. Unlike Ethereum, the world's second largest cryptocurrency, the Bitcoin blockchain has rarely seen backward, incompatible, system-wide upgrade changing core code features. In a rare instance it has, the Bitcoin community has gone through fierce governance disputes, such as the infamous scaling debates of 2017, which centered on a potential increase to Bitcoin's block size. The philosophical rift ultimately resulted in the creation of a shitcoin named Bcash in August of 2017. Still, a prospective hard fork that would change Bitcoin's 21 million supply cap is conceivable, if perhaps heretical. Quote, it's not a given that Bitcoin has to stay at 21 million hard limits, said EY's Brody who, it should be noted, is building enterprise applications on top of, you guessed it, rival chain Ethereum. Quote, there is a governance mechanism to permit changes in Bitcoin. If the community agrees, that would be good. I don't think Brody was around. I don't think, he probably was, but if he was, he was, he, he was definitely not one of the people writing tweets that had noted in it. And if you get the reference, congratulations. It means you survived the freaking scaling debate. Okay. Even so, Bitcoin advocate and author Andreas Antonopoulos stressed that governance drama surrounding Bitcoin supply cap is nothing to lose sleep over, especially since Bitcoin's transition to a purely transactional fee rewards model will take 120 years. Antonopoulos added that from the very launch of Bitcoin in 2009, mining was always a marginally profitable endeavor, never intent, intended to stay constant. Quote, mining rewards dynamically adjust based on the network. It's a very complex economic environment. It's not as simple as people think, <laughs> said Antonopoulos, adding, there are half a dozen variables that determine minor profitability right now, including the cost of electricity, their access to bandwidth transactions, the block subsidy, the transaction fees at the time, Bitcoin price, their local currency exchange rate, the type of equipment, and how efficient it is at converting electricity into mining, end quote. As such, Antonopoulos says the concerns surrounding a transition from a block subsidy to purely transaction-based block rewards are grossly overblown. 
Quote, nothing magical happens when block subsidy drops to zero, said Antonopoulos. It is a very gradual and predictable change that happens over a period of 120 years. It's already happening, and every day miners make their decisions. End quote. While the 18th millionth Bitcoin may not be the best reminder of the ongoing reality of a limited supply cap, the next upcoming milestone on Bitcoin's horizon assuredly will. Viewing the next Bitcoin having as far more a far more notable event in Bitcoin's history, venture capitalist Williams Moyager said, quote, in my opinion, the 18 millionth milestone is not that significant in relation to the next halving, which occurs May 2020. On that date, the block subsidy will go from 12.5 BTC to 6.25 BTC. And thank you, William for having probably one of the more salient points in this piece. And as much as people are hating on Andreas, you know, at least he pulls out the, at least he pulls out the logic because there's nothing about what he said that I can find anything wrong with. There are lots of variables. It's not as easy as you think. And this is one of the reasons why we don't need to be taking PhD level economists along for the ride. Why? A PhD in economy, you might as well have a PhD in social science. I'm sorry, I'm going to go ahead and say it right now. That's what this shit is, is social science. And a PhD basically in, in economics, give me, a, give me someone like freaking Newton. That's what I want. Somebody who understood, every, invent, you know, arguably invented calculus. There was another guy that was kind of doing it alongside, but he got some stuff wrong and Newton actually got it right. So we went with Newton's uh, calculus, but he was also head of the Royal Mint at the time. Well, not at the time, but during his lifetime, he saw he was like, that's the economist that I want is somebody that can invent fucking math, not do it, not do math that somebody else invented, invent it for himself. That's what I want in my PhD level economist. What am I getting? I'm getting social scientists that have one leader to look up to, Keynes. We have Keynesian economics that says debt is good. And then you've got morons like, oh, I can't, Kruger, Krugman, saying shit like debt is money that you owe to yourself. No, it is not. It is not. If that what if that is what my PhD economist is giving me, then no thank you. I don't I don't want a master's, I don't want a bachelor's in economics. I in fact, if you're going to teach people Keynesian economics, I would rather them get their PhD and master's in social science because they'd probably do a lot more good. Because the last thing I'll say about it is how good have they served us? That whole thing, let's, what, what's, what's, Lara, let me get the quote. Brody, the economist, says if Bitcoin were to become a substantial part of the global monetary system, we would need to address the hard supply cap because of a lot of economists agree deflationary systems are not necessarily the best thing. And he also said, or wait, hold on, where, where was it? It, it was the, the whole thing that w- he was talking about, the fact that, we wouldn't have been able to do what we did to pull ourselves out of the Great Recession without being able to print money. Did you ever possibly stop to think? You guys got us there in the first freaking place. With your bullshit Keynesian economics, you put us in a situation where we had to 
do every, everybody had to do everything they could to prop this thing up so that the world doesn't die. If you've put, if, if the world's economists have put us in a position where we had to do that, I think it's possible that we can think that maybe we're looking at the wrong people. Isn't it possible that we're putting our trust in the wrong people? Anyway, there's your smoldering pile. I'm going to go ahead and go right in with the damn joke because God knows we need some humor after that pile of garbage. Dad says jokes at dad said jokes on Twitter. My wife stormed into the pub last night as me and the boys were downing shots of tequila. You're coming home now, she yelled. No, I'm not, I laughed. I'm talking to the kids. <laughs> I've seen it. No, I haven't seen a, a father actually downing shots with his, you know, underage children at a bar. I have seen on several occasions underage children at a bar around people getting hammered. And I'm talking like like I've seen it a couple of times, five, seven years old. Don't take your kids to a bar, guys, even if it's both you and your wife or you and your significant other or whatever it is. Children do not belong in a place where a guy just failed his last exam, is going to get thrown out of school and is like has four shots, you know, four shots of whiskey in front of him and a pint of beer on the side. And he's already hammered. Not the place for a five year old. Just saying. Anyway, um, it is Monday. Uh, we've got that price bump. We've got incoming FUD. We've got a we've got PhD economists that are desperately trying to get you to understand that they are right and you are wrong. If they are so right, why were they so wrong? See you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.